Are you a podcaster? Maybe you've got that big idea and you're looking for a network to join. The multi-award-winning Ozcast Network can get your content to eyes and ears all over the world. Join now for the first month free, and you could be featuring this sound at the beginning of your podcast. Ozcast. Simply head to ozcastnetwork.com for details. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, another episode of the Unlaced Podcast. Thank you for all the support this year in 2023. Uh, it's a big year. We say it every week on the show. We are going for the big guests. We're going for the big shows. We're weekly on Tuesday nights, so we're absolutely stoked about that. And can't thank you guys enough for coming along. For all the new people here, please give us a like and subscribe. It's how we grow. And if you've come back, you know, as I always say, I absolutely love you now. Uh, today's a, a big episode. We haven't done too many uh, AFL players out in the West, obviously, because we are based in Melbourne. But when we got over here, we had to make it happen. And we we did luck out, Braden. We got premiership premiership player, Norm Smith medalist, the West Coast Eagles captain, and a few John Warsfold medals to throw in there as well in Luke Shuey, mate. So thank Thanks you for coming me. on. Thanks for having me. I was going to say, you went straight to the top, but they uh, <laughs> couldn't, couldn't get Fifey, so you had to set up for me. <laughs> nah, mate. No, not at all. Well, um, no, very, very happy to get you on. I do have to give a shout out to our mate, Dave Gotch. He's uh, you. be happy with that. father of three, as we spoke of, to our amazement, but um, appreciate uh, you helping him us get uh, Lukey on. Now, how's pre-season been, mate? It's been good, mate. Uh, another hot one. Yeah. Um, it's been good. We've we've obviously changed a few things around. We've had a lean couple of years on field, so haven't performed too well. So we've we've changed a few things around. We we had some good draft picks last year, so got a good opportunity to get in some high end talent at a young age, which is nice. So um, things are looking good. Yeah, I think we're in for a good good couple of years coming up. Hopefully, better than what we've we've had the last couple. But it's been a good summer working on some things. We. Um, have learned and things we need to get better at. Absolutely. Now, you're, what are you, 32 now? 32. Is uh, like coming to the, even though you're captain and, and you seem like a pretty professional guy, like pre-seasons, they're getting tougher as you get, because they're, they're long pre-seasons. And I think AFL pre-seasons are probably one of the hardest in all world sports because yeah. the endurance aspect and the fitness levels that you guys have to be at. Mate, pre-season, I reckon as you get older, <laughs> probably gets easier. Oh, really? Uh, you get smarter? Because, well, there's that. You figure out- um, how to wheeze your way out of things, but uh, <laughs> no, as you as you get older and injury prone, and you need to be looked after a little bit. So um, it's the guys who are twenty two to twenty seven, twenty eight, who are just fully battle hardened, yeah. injury free, that do every single minute of preseason. Right, I feel for those folks. <laughs> really, yeah. and I've been there. I was I was durable back in the day, and they were they were tough slogs, but they were good fun. Yeah. They were good. They were enjoyable um, summers. So. Um, yeah, that middle age bracket, they they sort of cop the brunt of it. Us older blokes get looked after a little bit. <laughs> Handy. Now, I actually don't know if we've ever had an AFL captain on the show, um, but I'm keen to understand like the preseason leadership aspect of it that like no one really knows about because obviously we know the footy season, week to week, the build up, you're getting the boys ready, game day, all that sort of stuff. Can kind of guess maybe the responsibilities, but in the off season, what's sort of the standard that you've got to set or the things that you think of to kind of get the boys going? Um, probably one thing through the year you find as a, not just as a captain, but as a leader of a footy club, you, you're sort of the, the climate control of the group. So you're always trying to figure out what the group needs, um, which sort of direction the group's heading in. You're always trying to get a feel of where they're at, what they, um, what's pissing blokes off at the, at the time. Um, so you're always trying to keep your finger on the pulse in that regard. 
Um, whereas pre-season and off-season, um, guys are a lot more relaxed. There's no games. There's no real emotional roller coaster like there is in season. So, mm. um, as you, as you touched on before, a lot of it is um, trying to drive standards, um, teach good habits, uh, and then once we come back training as a group after off-season, we get into pre-season and start playing um, playing matches against ourselves. Um, you just you become a, a teacher. You, you're trying to teach all the new things. You're trying to learn as a footy club. Um, things you learnt from last year, the direction you're heading as a footy club. You're trying to trying to teach everyone that and and ingrain good habits into particularly the young guys who yeah. are going to carry your club forward. So um, that's the sort of probably the difference in the main difference in your role. Um, and then there's so many other things that, that come with it outside of that, but they're they're probably the main ones. Uh, now I know you're probably <clears throat> a bit of a humble guy, but do do you find like the young guys when they come in or they're around the club when you're talking, it's like because I can imagine when it, when you're a young boy going into a footy club, you've kind of got the boys that have done some great things in the game, leading the club. It just be they they'd be the ones they're sort of looking at and all eyes <laughs> on you. Do you feel that at all, or are you just uh, kind of used to it now? Not not really. <clears throat> um, I know when I was young, it was. A, I was a little bit like that. You know, Darren Glass would walk past or Coxie and um, I played a few years with Curry as well. Yeah, Danny Curry. fucking surreal, man. Oh, man, I, I remember when I first rocked up, it, I'd been watching these guys for <laughs> um, three or four years at the top of their game and they were the best team in the comp Yeah, right before I got there. And I walked in and I'm rubbing shoulders with them and they're walking past and I'm just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. Um, and I, no, I don't think young kids are doing that to me these days. Oh, I'm sure they might have done it to – Josh Kennedy or Nick um, or something <laughs> like that. But um, now the the kids we've drafted over the last couple of years are, are really good young kids actually. Um, a lot of them have um, boarded for their last few years at school. So right. living out of home, we've found you, you grow up a lot quicker than what the average 18, 17, 16-year-old would. Um, a lot of the young guys we've got on our list have been through a bit of adversity off-field in their lives. So that's probably helped them grow up a little as well. So – yeah, we've got a really good, humble young group at the moment, which I think is going to yeah hold the club in good stead going forward. I use Pendles as an example for this because we've had quite a few Collingwood boys on over probably the last four or five months. But because he's obviously a lot older, but he's still obviously a fine one as they call him, plays and and leads the club up until this year. But connecting with like say a steel side bottom versus like a Jack Ginevan would as a leader would be just worlds apart. Like you got these kids coming through that are on TikTok and they've got a different way about them. Then you've got obviously some older heads that have come through. So the experiences you have, mm. do you find that you like are communicating with everyone differently or like you, you're connecting with them differently? Cause I think that's an art, like being able to connect with it all, is. all aspects of people. It is, man. I was, I was actually thinking about this the other day. Um, I can't remember in what context, but I was thinking about probably my biggest learning from um, being a footballer and being at a footy club for, the 15 years I have been is the ability to connect with all different walks of life. Mm. Like the diversity in a footy club is unlike anything you'll see in any workplace, <laughs> I'd, I'd imagine. Um, you got 44, roughly 44 players on the list. You normally have six to 10 coaches. Uh, and then there's a heap of footy department staff as well. So you, you're mingling with up to a hundred people over yeah. the course of a year. Um, there's different religions, races, cultures, um, beliefs, everything. So particularly as a leader, you, it's so important to be able to find ways to connect with everyone, mm. um, especially when you know, you're trying to teach young guys the right way to do things. And um, there's a great saying, and it's um, players don't care how much you know 
until they know how much you care. So <laughs> I like uh, that. Unless you <laughs> unless you connect with the young kids coming in and they know you've fully got their back and you're fully invested in their development, um, they're not really going to care what you have to tell them or teach yeah. them. So it's it's more important than ever now to connect and um, build relationships with, yeah, not just the players but the staff as well. It's pretty – like when you put it like that, it's fucking insane, isn't it? it like is, I, there, yeah. There's nothing like it. That's no. I always think um, like emotional sort of intelligence and um, having those hard conversations and being in like these really high intense environments is so unique. Like I think when people come out of the game, they don't realise how like – life hardened they are for anything else because mm. you're living week to week based on results and it's kind of dictating moods and, and how that is like in a workplace, it's not really like that. And you've got blokes like looking at you, like telling you, you're not doing this, you're not doing that or lift up. Like in a workplace, you can't really do any of those things, but obviously in sport, it's kind of like, yeah, go green yeah. lights. It's pretty weird. Hey, it's funny when I speak to guys who I'm mates with that finish at the club and they go into um, a different line of work, whether it be in an office or a trade or whatever. And they're, they're just amazed at how many people just do the bare minimum to get by and no more. <laughs> and it's like they've they've obviously come from an environment where that that will get you probably two or three years in the system just mm. doing the bare minimum, but then you chewed up and spat out. Yeah. Um, so you go from doing, you know, you go from going above and beyond with what you do for your preparation, your training to get everything out of yourself to not, not that everyone in the world does it. Obviously, there's people out there who work extremely hard, mm. um, a lot of people but they go into workplaces where also a lot of people just do the bare minimum and it really shocks them. So, um, yeah, the, the, the things you learn from being at a footy club aren't just um, about footy or um, how to work hard, but you yeah. learn so much just knowing and getting to know people who have come from, yeah, all, all different walks of life. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I don't want to dwell on it too long, but because West Coast has been such like an institution for success and always competing at the top, for you, has it been difficult the last couple of years? Because probably since you've come in, you've always been in, in good teams that whether they've been in a window or not, have always been super competitive. Uh, mm. It's probably been a bit, little bit different for you as well, especially being a leader to sort of um, deal with that. How, how was that for you? Yeah, it has been. It's probably been um, 12 years since – so when I first got to the club, 2009, we won the Wooden Spoon in 2010. <laughs> so it's been 12 years since we've sort of – been back to you know this low before mm. um in the middle there we had a really good run where i think maybe out of the 10 years eight of the years we played finals yeah it's ridiculous um, made two grannies uh three prelims so we, we had a we had a good run at it and then to it felt like we dropped off pretty quickly yeah. um yeah we we went okay in 2019 after winning the flag but we i don't think we were ever a real threat to win it that year looking back and then 2020, the year of the hub, um, sort of started to go downhill real quick, and it's been a, been a tough two or, two or three years since. Um, and you're right. The the funniest thing is for a club that's been pretty successful in most of their existence, um, you realise what the fans and members are used to <laughs> yeah. when, when you actually do, do, do they switch up like naturally. Obviously, in Melbourne, like some teams are struggling for a long time, the fans, and so, like, sometimes they, they're still turning up cheering. Yeah. You get some that are used to success, like the Pies and Richmond, mm. and they can turn pretty quick if it's not going well. Yeah. Well, they haven't jumped ship, our fans. <laughs> they haven't jumped ship, but they um they let you know that you're not going too well. So, yeah. yeah. Um, which is fine. It, it, that I, I like to think that drives good standards within a footy club, knowing that people um, demand and expect success. So, um, yeah, it's been a tough couple of years. Um, it's 
probably dented the pride a little bit, particularly of a few of us older boys who have been around a while and um, seen the club, you know, at the peak of its powers, being a part of premiership success in 2018 and and now um, coming off a two-win season. Um, it hurts, but um, always darkest before the dawn. So yeah. hopefully over the next few years there's um, a few more positives in the last couple. Do you, do you take it? For, not for granted because you, you obviously earned all those prelims and grand finals and flags, but because it was so consistent, now you've sort of had to do, – do you realise like how, how hard that is to actually be at that level that consistently? Because there's clubs that have made finals for Yonks mm. and you guys are kind of just – it seems like it's – you know, you guys are always there and in contention. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It, it's hard. It's, it's a tough industry. Um, and I think now more than ever it's, it's probably tougher to stay at the top <coughs> of – the game because it's so easy for teams to turn things around. Like we've seen Sydney and Collingwood both finished 16th and 17th over the last two or three years and bounced back the next year to, to make prelims and grand finals. So um, teams can turn it around quicker than ever. I think now Um, we probably went through a period where sustained success was a little bit easier to, to uphold. But in saying that we still only walked away with one flag out of those eight years. (laughs) Yeah. We played finals. So um yeah, very hard to win, and I think when you're at the top of your game, it's it's a lot harder to stay there because um, you know teams really enjoy playing the best sides and the good sides, and they get up for those games. And um, every week, if you're a good side, you're being hunted by opposition teams and players. And um, yeah, as I said before, in this industry, teams can turn it around really <coughs> quick, so it doesn't take much to get knocked off your perch. Yeah, but but with your role, and you're probably used to it now because you're obviously one of the, sort of the star mids and have been for a long time for West Coast. Do you find, like, do you have a sort of approach men- from a mental perspective more so here when people are always kind of, every opposition you play against, you've got that extra added sort of baggage to deal with or potentially someone's going with you or eyes on sort of your movements and stuff. You never really get that free run at it potentially all the time, <clears throat> whether that's changing now because obviously you've got some elite mids coming through as well. Mm. But uh, how, how did you sort of dealt with that for a long part of your career? Um, I suppose my first few years... Um, I was part of a midfield that still had Daniel Kerr and Matt Prittis. Um, so in terms of opposition, opposition attention, that's probably where it all went to those two. And then as I got a little bit older, I started to have a bit more impact on games. I still remember the first game I was <coughs> tagged, actually. It was Kane Corns. Oh, wow. And yeah. He just um, seems like a nasty bugger when he played. Yeah, oh, he, was, he was just good at it. He took, <coughs> me, took me to the deep end. And um, I remember – so I'd never been tagged at AFL and – I'd been going okay the last couple of weeks and the first first half of the first quarter he was he was always near me, but I just I just didn't presume I was getting tagged because right. I was only twenty one. I wasn't a superstar. Um second quarter he was still there around me and I hadn't touched it. I'd had like one or two kicks and I remember thinking, Fuck, surely he's not tagging me. <laughs> and I got to half time and um yeah, the coaches started talking and they're going, All right, um, you know, Luke getting tagged by Kane Corns, what can we do to help you? And I was like, shit, he is, he is tagging me. Uh, so I G'd myself up for a big second half and I reckon I finished the game with like six touches, wow. maybe seven touches. And um, that was a that was just a good wake-up call to, to me, um, really to show that if I wanted to be an elite midfielder in the competition, I had to be so much better than where I was. So, um, yeah, as, as I got older and particularly into my mid-20s, I started to get a little bit more attention and, I actually enjoyed it. I actually, actually always enjoyed the challenge of, of being tagged, particularly. Mm. Um, You'd probably have to though, because if you hate it, then the mentality every week is going to be not shot. But yeah, there was that. But it was also a little bit of a um, 
bit of a badge of honour knowing that you know, I think so. Te- teams are looking at you going, oh, well, for us to win, we need to stop this bloke. So yeah. I found a lot of my better games when I was um, in my mid-20s were games I was getting tagged. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I had a lot of good people around me to help me deal with that sort of stuff. But I've, I've been part of a, a midfield that's had really good players over the years. So it's not like I've, um, I've had to shoulder the full load myself. I've had guys who have copped their fair share as well. So that's probably been the beauty in my journey is um, the, the talent that I've had alongside me has certainly helped me along the ride for sure. I've, I've actually been wanting to, when I, when we knew you, well, when I knew you were coming on, I was really keen to sort of know for you, and this probably ties into maybe what you said, but the best opponent you've played against in your career from a, like who either you found it toughest against or who you've just been like, this guy is just playing in a different stratosphere to everyone else that, you know, caught you by storm. Because um, you played for, for the long part of your career, you played against probably arguably some of the best mids over the last 30 years. Yeah, Scott Pendery is probably my number one. Really? Um, why, not so, why was that? Not so much we've gone head-to-head and he's pants me every time. He probably would if we did go head-to-head. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> just his, his high level of output for so long over a long yeah. period of time. It's not like he's been an A grader for 10 years. He's been like A plus, yeah. top three most years yeah. as a midfielder in the competition. Um, uh, and his ability to make others better around him. So as a leader, um, if you can make other people around you better and, and play well, um, that's the best form of leadership. So he's been able to do both those, those, those things for so long. I remember when I was, uh, it was 2011, so I was 21, we played Collingwood. Uh, it was my first final, actually, and I was so excited. We played Collingwood at the G and um, I played on him for a little bit of that first half and I just remember him taking like, he would have taken four or five contested marks just down the line in packs as a midfielder. And then at stoppages, he's winning the ball at ground level, taken taken off. He would have had 20-something touches <coughs> at halftime. I just remember looking at him going, this bloke's invincible. Is this dreadlock penalty? Is this back uh, then? I reckon <coughs> this was after the dreads. Oh, right. Yeah, this reckon- was 2011, so they just won the flag pretty much. So this is when they were- they still I reckon he crack. just lost the dreads. Oh, really? That was, that was one of my favourite pendles. Yeah. Yeah, he pulled the dreads off pretty well. <laughs> yeah. But he, um, I remember looking at him that day thinking like, the difference between me and the best mids in this competition could really? be further apart. He was so good. So he's one that I've always said I think is a you know, top three, particularly the last 15 years, but um, he's up there with Ablett, Selwood. Yeah. Um, those guys, there's a reason why they've been who they are. Yeah. Like their, their level of output for, for a long, a long, long time. Um, I was lucky to play with Sam Mitchell. Played a year with Mitch, and then he coached us for a year before he went back to Hawthorne. But he was someone I was always enjoyed watching. Um, always admired the way he played. Um, I, I admire how efficient he is on both feet. It's frightening. Yeah, to he me. was a weapon. Yeah, because yeah. that's a I think it's a big thing in AFL. You see blokes kind of wheel around on their good foot, or when they're kicking on their left, it's like just get it down and get distance. Whereas Mitchell was like, it's like a laser. Mm. Yeah, he was time. good. I actually think with kicking on both feet, you. People don't notice if you do it well, but if you butcher it or you clearly don't have an opposite right. foot, it stands out like dog's nuts. Yeah, really? So um, there's a lot of guys who kick well onto their opposite feet but never really get talked about. But then guys who get themselves into trouble um, can't kick on their opposite foot and butcher it. It just stands out. Yeah, so <laughs> now that I've said that, I reckon you'll notice. Yeah, I reckon I will too. Because well, put it this way, in like professional soccer, if you can't play with two feet, you won't get a game. Like it's it's impossible mm. because the, the, the way the field is. Like, well, Mitch loved soccer. 
Yeah, she's a massive soccer oh, fan. Oh, man, yeah. your opposite, some people's opposite foot's like are better than their – because they've had to work so hard at it because you need it. Whereas mm. is that is that like a like from a AFL coaching point of view and development point of view, is that like a key criteria or not so much? Not so much, but I, th- I think it should be. Yeah, I think yeah, it I think should it's be. it's really important. Um, yeah, I I reckon it should be a lot more important and a lot more emphasis put on it than what there is. Yeah. Um, but there's so many things – Guys need to work on, and I'm not a coach, so I'm, <laughs> yeah. who, who am I to tell them what to do? Would you go into it? Do it? Would you ever go into it? Uh, it's what I want to do, yeah. Yeah, really? Yeah, I want to stay in fo- Mate, footy's all I've ever known. Since I was five and I started playing Tackers footy for Pauline <laughs> Templestowe, um, it's just been my one love in life. And yeah. I, if I fell out of love with it and wanted to go do something else, I'd, I'd be content with that. But yeah. I still love the game. Um, obviously, I won't be able to play for too much longer, but um, – Obviously, there's ways to stay involved, and that's one of them's coaching. So, yeah, I'm interested in that side of the game. Um, you still get to be involved on game day. Hmm. Um, I don't want to be a head coach, mind you. Nah, you don't? Uh, nah. That seems not at the moment. Stressful job. Stressful. You'll get there one day. A lot going on. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I will. Um, <laughs> I'm happy to sit, um, sit as an assistant coach or a line coach or a development coach, whatever it is, but just the same footy would be cool. In some regards, Steve, like a – even though you're a player now, do you, do you sort of have that assistant coach role as a captain, like working with the coaches, like a day-to-day, but not sort of running the sessions, but mm-hmm. being that added voice and actually a lot of your leadership would be coaching kids, like or boys of what to do. Yeah. And- well, I guess the essence of coaching is teaching. Yeah. So as a coach, your job is to teach things. Um, a lot of a lot of the great American coaches of basketball or NFL um, have actually finished teaching degrees. So learning to – teach and be a teacher is so important. So yeah, yeah as a, as a leader or a senior player, you, um, you're always trying to teach things to younger guys and not just younger guys, anyone really, anyone who needs to get better at things. You're always trying to teach where you can and, and help. So I, I guess in essence, there's, there's a little bit of coaching there, but we don't get involved in match committee, team selection, right. any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, not just yet anyway. Yeah. So but- Given the sort of the longevity of your career up West Coast, and we touched on it before, like the culture and the team dynamic, and it kind of always seems to be competitive, even when coaches and players kind of shift through the period that you've been there. What if you put your finger on the pulse? What why why do you think that is? Because like we obviously said that with Geelong, you see it with the Swans to an extent. Like they've kind of always been relevant, like for as long as I can remember mm. since my lifetime. <clears throat> yeah. If it was easy to put your finger on, everyone would be doing it. <laughs> yeah. So, so is, it, is it just a thing out here? Like, you know, there's just an aura about the club and the success it's had since it's come in because it's – I think at some stage a, a really good culture needs to be born. So you look back at Geelong in 05, 06, probably in the lead up to their 07 premiership, Tom Harley, um, mm. Matty Scarlett, Cameron Ling, like they had a really good group of leaders. So they're laying foundations that, you know, they – if they're solid foundations and um, they are what the playing group can buy into, they'll stand the test of time. And obviously they, they did a great job of that. Um, now they're not going to go and reveal it to everyone else because otherwise everyone will steal their ideas. But obviously there was something there all those years ago and Joel Selwood learned off them, Tom Hawkins learned off them. Um, and then you get Mark Blitzavs, Cam Guthrie, they learn off Joel and Tom Hawkins. So it's sort of just this cycle that, if you get a good group of leaders come along and lay some good foundations, hopefully it, it you know, trickles along for 10, 15 years and there's your sustained um, era of success. Hawthorne yeah. did it with yeah, Hodge the Hawks. Exactly. Yeah, that, that era too. It was crazy. Um, 
you know, Sydney clearly have a, a great culture embedded into the four walls of the footy club that has been there for a long time. Um, so every club's striving for that. Mm. Yeah. But as I said before, it's it's quite easy to fall off. Well, it's not easy to fall off the perch. Um, if you're a well-run organisation, you shouldn't shouldn't fall completely off. But it's it's easier for the poor teams to rebound quicker right. than whatever has been. So um, I think maybe ten years ago, if you finished up the top of the ladder, you'd you'd look at the next season and go, "There's probably six or seven teams who are really competing for top four. <clears throat> now it's like. There's probably 14. Anyone could really bob up and have a year out of the blue. And Which is good for you guys, considering like yeah, Collingwood, obviously, last year. Collingwood last year. Um, <clears throat> I think Sydney the year before. Yeah, crazy. Um, that jump. Is that is, is that like, is that ridiculous in AFL terms? Like, because that, I don't know if that's happened too often. Yeah. Maybe the last few years. Like well, second. in soccer a few? Was it Leicester City? Yeah, Leicester. Yeah. A few years ago, <laughs> won it from. Yeah, that, that's, that was. Nowhere. Yeah, it's like a blue moon. Um, I think the AFL have sort of got what they wanted in terms of competition equality and yeah. the way the game's played now. It's it's fast, it's quick, it's exciting to watch for the fans and that allows um, teams to, you know, if they get some little things right, they can rebound quick. So um, I think the game's in a healthy spot. Uh, are you a superstitious guy? Not overly, nah. This is, I heard a, heard a rumour that you eat some pretty grubby food the day of a game versus Nutri-Grain combined with wheat bix I do, yeah. Is that, a, is that true? That's something I've done since I was um, – as long as I can remember. I reckon since my dad used to make me breakfast. What? But um, just how – like at what point did that combination – yuck? It, it's unheard of. I mean, I, I don't know. It could really – do you know what? I'll actually nice, do it. I'll give do it. it I'll do an in, when this episode comes out, I'll do an Instagram reel of me trying it and so, just like give a, give, give a review. I'm not superstitious because if, if I – if I woke up and for whatever reason there was no wheat bix or milk around the house, <laughs> I wouldn't be rattled. You'd be fu- okay. So it's not that bad. It's not that bad, but I do enjoy just doing it on game day because I've I've just always done it. Yeah, yeah. Dad, Dad used to come in and wake me up the day of a game and give me my wheat bix and milk. I've never yeah. heard of that like combination before. Yeah, where'd what, you get so, that intel from? Uh, mate, you can't we do our research. We do our we do our research. Yeah, <laughs> we are a well research platform. But like, wait, just I wanted to know what's the ratio here? Nutrigrain to wheat bix and milk? Like three that's, wheat bix, three wheat bix. Um, and probably, I don't know, hands, hands full of- Oh, wow. And then drain. like load them with milk or just like- Then like, boiling hot water to soften the wheat bix. Get the fuck. <laughs> you are not going to do Oh, we actually got to this level. Boiling hot water to <clears throat> soften the wheat bix, but not enough that you can see any flooding in the bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Let it rest for a minute so the water dries up. Yeah. And then you mix the milk through and it should be lukewarm on your tongue. Well, I yep. don't know what's weirder, that Marnus Labuschagne toasted sandwich that he puts in the fridge. Do you, have you seen oh, yeah, that? I like that by Marnus. Have you tried that before? No, I reckon it would be nice. Yeah. I reckon it would be nice, but yeah. it's, it's just funny because it comes from him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People's eating habits, everyone else is going to find him weird. Yeah. For me, it's completely normal. Yeah, so. no, I like it. I like Give it. Give it a go. Hey, you own it, which is good. I'm actually going <laughs> to, we're going to do a TikTok on like Luke Shuey's pregame meal for, for sure. But um, this, is a, this is a good one for me. And I we get sort of different answers from different players on this one. But in your eyes, the hardest thing about being an AFL footballer that may be well known or goes unknown to the, you know, the person and fan that that isn't. Um, I reckon every player will give you a different answer. Yeah. Um, because what I find hard, others might find easy. What, what I find an absolute breeze. Some might find tough. So for me personally, um, particularly now having two kids, um, prioritizing what I need to and being real selfish with my prep and looking after my body and at times neglecting my family is mm-hmm. hard. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one thing that probably 
one thing that pisses me off a little bit is um, it, it's not really tough to deal with, but it, it's probably the one thing that pisses me off the most is that a lot of footy fans uh, around the country um, just presume that footballers are immune to mental health issues. Oh, like mate, we talk about um, this all the time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's <coughs> ridiculous. It really stood out to me in 2020 when we went to yeah, Queensland for the hub. The hub, yeah. And um, we we're actually one of the clubs to get on the front foot and say publicly, look, we're, we're up here. Um, we don't want to spend any more than six weeks here. Um, we got guys who need to get back to their wives, their families, their kids, blah, blah, blah. We'll be up here for six weeks. We'll still do it. And the backlash we copped as a footy club and some of the stuff on social media to individuals saying like, oh, you know, he's paid he's paid millions to play footy. What's he whinging about? It's like it doesn't matter what we get paid or what luxuries we have. Family is still number one. We yeah. still want to get back to see our kids. We still love seeing our kids grow up more than any other mm. um, average Joe out there. So um, sometimes people forget that – um, athletes all around the world, not just AFL. Yeah, course. it's it's, we're, it's insane. It's uh, insane. That pisses me off sometimes. Yeah, um, even even like we've had one of our young boys lost his mum a couple of weeks ago in a um, boating accident. Oh no! And like the the media the next day were clearly just after clickbait. So they're doing whatever they can to put up um, articles and stories to get people just to to I don't know money in their pockets it's, and not worrying about this kid's mental health. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Don't uh, get me wound up. Uh, on this stuff. Yeah. No, mate. I thought this is my, a journalist sent it almost ended my well, pretty much ended my soccer career because mm. he wrote a, a fake article targeted at the coach using me, a nineteen year old kid, as a vehicle, saying I wasn't fit. And he, I was training at a local park with a fitness trainer mid season, and he wrote an article saying Adelaide's not fit, and I got suspended for two weeks by the coach. Mm. Like I was just a night. I was literally thinking, man, I'm nineteen year old kid just doing my best. Like I didn't even choose that, and. It's not to veer off onto me, but it's like I see so much of that, if not 10 times more in the AFL. Yeah, well, there's just no media accountability. So yeah. They can shoot from the hip, get it wrong, and there's no backlash. Is it? Um, is it? So Melbourne's obviously what I'm accustomed to. It's it pretty volatile over there. Is it the same in the West? Um, probably not as bad as Melbourne. Yeah. Um, some of the criticism individuals cop in Victoria, it's pretty brutal at yeah. times. Um, we're lucky in a sense over here that um, – we probably go overs with putting our athletes on pedestals over here. Yeah. Um, which is almost just as uncomfortable yeah. as the other way. But um, yeah, yeah, it's an interesting topic. Everyone's probably got a different view on it. Oh, with that, with that one, you're up on it. Like, I think it's actually good that like blokes of a senior level are the ones that make a, make a bit of a voice about it because it's mm. the, the younger ones that don't really get um, the support in that sense when they come out and say, it's not like it's, people don't really back him in or believe him or mm. anything like that. And it's like, fuck mate. Like, so when you say it, it's like, fuck, okay, well I'd, I'd listen because you've played you know, 12, 15 yeah. years in the game. Um, yeah. I just don't like this idea that we can turn a blind eye to athletes thinking that they're just athletes. Yeah. Like there's, there's people there behind the athlete with families, with mm. everyday problems like everyone else, just cause we um, get to play footy on TV for a living mm. um, or any athlete do what they do. A lot of sports obviously get paid a lot more than we do, um, yeah. but that that doesn't mean they don't love their family any less yeah, or correct. don't need to be with their family and friends as much as what anyone else does. So, um, yeah, sometimes I think public neglect that. 
We have, um, we've had on this show and for everyone listening, if you haven't seen it, <clears throat> go back and watch the, uh, episode with Jackie Liotta. Cause she's an absolute genius when we talk about stuff like this, like athlete welfare and mental health. But, um, she's the Collingwood she's sports, psychologist. Yeah. Sports psych, but she yeah. does the Melbourne storm, like w- women's footy, um, Collingwood she's got a good rap, doesn't she? huge. Mm. But uh, so I speak to her all the time. She's like, I'm, she goes, I'm in a job because of the media. Like that's, she goes, that's yeah. why I get paid. Yeah. That's why that's she's surprising. become relevant. So it's just, yeah. yeah. But I'll change it too because otherwise we could chew the fat on this all day. <laughs> but um, did you did you ever think as a you know, 16, 15, 16-year-old boy that you'd ever get drafted and you'd be captaining an AFL footy team sitting on sort of 240 games? Did uh, you ever think that was possible? Not at that age. No. Nah. Certainly never thought I'd captain the club. That wasn't an ambition. Um, when did that come around? Like what what was – did you see it coming or were you – is there something you were Mate, gunning I, for sort of later no, on? I, it was never really something I felt I wanted to or had to do. Yeah. Um, I'd, I always, I've always said this um, and I always thought to myself, I'll, like, it, it was always something that seemed like a great honour and a privilege to do because it is, it is. but um, I really only ever wanted to do it if my teammates wanted me to captain. Really? Otherwise. See, when like, you say shit like that, then I'll be like, yeah, I want him to be my captain now. Because he's like, yeah. he's, he's just or maybe this is part of the campaign, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the propaganda. <laughs> um, you know, why would I want to do something if my forty-three other teammates don't want it? Yeah. It's just not in the interest of the footy club. So, um, I was I was vice captain for two or three years under Shannon Hearn, and and he was doing a cracking job. Won a flag as a captain, um, and I was really content. I'd had my first kid. Life was good off field. I was just content riding shotgun as, as vice captain with, with Josh Kennedy um, for the rest of my career. And then out of nowhere, Bung pulled the ping on Shannon Hearn, pulled mm. the pin on captaincy and um, just wanted to focus on you know, his last few years as a player and getting his body right. And and all of a sudden that's when it probably became more realistic to me mm. that I might actually get the opportunity, which was exciting and I've enjoyed it. Um, but it's not something I've – craved or felt like I had to do to feel like I've had a good career. So, yeah, um, yeah as, a, as a 15, 16 year old, I, I was no, um, I was no junior standout. Like I wasn't a, I wasn't a kid that ever got talked about as a top 10 draft pick or anything like that. So what did you um, go, you went, what did you go? Picked? I ended up going 18. 18. That's pretty, yeah. Still yeah. pretty high. Yeah. You well, had a great Metro team as well. Like but, carried by Gotchi. Yeah. Uh, the funny thing, Shad, we'll talk about this, Dave Gotch. I think he came top 10 in the, Metro B and F, like Did or he? whatever, and he was one of the six in that team that didn't get drafted, yeah, right. <laughs> or something yeah, like that. Okay. So, don't um, worry, sorry, got you. Some people still just remember ask him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't a standout junior. I didn't play Vic Metro in my under sixteen years. Wasn't AIS. Um, mm. Didn't make Vic Metro as a bottom age under eighteen, and then my my best year obviously was my top age under 18 year. I played Vic Metro that year, but I still didn't dominate. So for me, I, I just, I just wanted to crawl onto an AFL list and be given an opportunity. And then from there, I was always like, I'll just reset and go again and work as hard as I need to, to just get a game. I just yeah. want to play a game, which I think a lot of young kids these days probably feel the same way. You, you, you just want to get onto an AFL list and play a game, live out your dream and you'll be content. Yeah. And then you get that game done. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I want to play 50 games. It's good fun. Um, and then as you mature a bit, you start to buy into where the club's heading and it's more about, all right, I want to help the team play well, yeah. grow up. You become more club orientated. But mm. um, yeah, if I had been offered 240-odd games as a 16-year-old, <laughs> I would have 
in a heartbeat. Take it in a heartbeat, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. The, the average life of an AFL football is not long as well. Like, there's, I'm sure there's statistics, and I think I've, I think I might have even said them on this show before, but I know I'll get it wrong. But it's you're yeah, in it three, you're, four years. Yes, four years. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah, they, I think the AFLPA said it. Like, mm. it's a fucking, it's a volatile Short, industry. So, it yeah, is, it yeah. is. Uh, oh, I've been lucky, mate. I've had great people around me. Um, had a good run with injury from 20 to 30 years old. So mm. I've probably played 150 games and missed 10 maybe. Yeah. So I, I, I was lucky in that regard. You see some blokes around the competition whose careers get cut short through injury. Yeah. Um, it just doesn't seem fair. So um, had a bit of luck along the way. You, when you were talking about like playing pendles in like 2012 or 2011, what it was, and you were sort of saying like you're struggling to get near it and or not struggling to get near it, but you're just like the jump from you to the top, you felt like it was a massive gap. What, did you do mentally or physically to bridge that? Was it was it just flicking a switch or were you doing like additives to like that's what I need to do to get to that level? Because you jump to what you've done in your career, it's quite amazing to think that you thought that you were so far off it in mm. a sense. Um I I never really I never really said that I just wanted to be Scott Penterbury or I wanted to be the best player in the competition. It was mm. more about you know, how do I keep my spot in the team? And then once I was um, once I was well enough cemented in the side, it was how do I play my best every week? How do I just bring my best version and um, how do I just play well every single week? And from probably 21 through to 24, I'd say most players are the same around the competition. They can be your inconsistent year, so you can be good, you can be poor, you can be good, poor. And for me, it was about just bridging the gap week to week, so just a consistent output. Um, and trusting that, you know, the people around me were going to help me, my teammates and trusting that I was on the right path to being the best player I could, mm. I could be. And, um, I listened to a podcast with Sam Mitchell actually <laughs> the other day and, uh, he was talking about, um, as a footy club, um, or as a team, what you did last week. Um, so he, he talked about hating the saying, just do what we did last week. Oh. If you win and he hates it because he's, 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 Philosophy is what you did last week won't be good enough this week. And um, without knowing it, I, I sort of tried to do that as a player over the journey. It was, you know, play well one week, but doing that is not going to cut the mustard this week. Yeah. So you've got to find ways to get better all the time. And, um, yeah, I, certainly I was, I was never at the never at the level that Penelbury was at or Nat Fife or Dusty Martin, but I think to date I've, I've got as much out of myself as I've yeah, so which is – that's a more liberating and satisfying than anything when it's all said and done, I reckon, because you haven't left anything on the shelf in a sense. Yeah. Which is pretty pretty powerful. Yeah, there's – there's. Uh, I was going to say there's things you regret along the journey, but I don't know if there is. <laughs> well, um, it's hard to change now, I guess. Oh, yeah. Probably impossible, isn't it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Some would say. Yeah, I, I don't think I'd, I regret anything, but I, I certainly know I've – to date, I've, I've worked and mm. probably made – at least the choices I've made along the way, for for the most part, I've always done with the um, mindset of getting the best out of myself. Yeah. So even if they were the wrong choices, yeah. um, at least I did it with good intentions. Absolutely. So hopefully another couple of years left though. I know I know. You, we all know what sort of your best year for team success was, which we're definitely going to get into, people. I know you want to hear some stuff and stories about that, but from an individual perspective, what in your eyes was your best season? Thus far in the AFL where you were like, you were motoring, you're at your best. I played okay in the flag year, but I had a, I had a hammy injury about round five 
And I reckon I was out for six weeks. And then coming back from that hammy, I was, I was a little bit down on my output, right. a little bit inconsistent trying to get back to my good form. So pre-hammy, I was okay. And then back into the year, I was okay. But in the middle, I, I missed a bit of footy. And when I first came back, I wasn't great. So that probably wasn't my best. I'd, I'd say my best years are probably the, the two years I won out best and fairest, mm. 16 and 19. Yeah. Um, I became a different player though. Like 2011, I kicked 20-something goals. Um. <laughs> And then since then, I, I never went anywhere near that. Like, I'd, but the goals just dried up. And <laughs> Why I mean, do you reckon that is? Well, a lot of people probably think, I don't know what people think, but I, I know it's because I actually became more of a well-rounded player. So I actually, right. actually learned the, you know, a bit about the defensive side of the game. Right. Um, you actually do things that help the team, which in turn, you might not get as many opportunities to kick goals. Mm. But um, I think I became a better team player and probably more. Um. Yeah, I probably helped the team a lot more than what I would have if I just tried to kick twenty five goals every year. But, yeah. Um. My best couple of years were probably sixteen and nineteen. That's fascinating because obviously two thousand eighteen was I'm sure one of the top five moments of your life. That winning winning that flag, which mm. we you know and everyone knows how hard it is to come by. Um. <clears throat> coming into that season before sort of round one or early stages of that, was there a mentality in the West Coast? four walls that you guys could win it or did that progress and grow as the season went on? Uh, it progressed as the season went on, but I don't think you ever, everyone's aims to win a flag. So every, every, every club wants to win a premiership. So I don't think you really need to sit down as a group and go, we're here to win a flag. This is what we want to do. But the belief, I think the belief that you can do it internally grows. Um, right. But we went through a period in 18 mid year, we lost three in a row. Oh, so we really? lost to Sydney, Adelaide and Essendon at home. We got smacked, shit, smacked by Essendon at home one night, and so we lost three in a row. Um, but what had happened was end of twenty seventeen, we scraped into finals. Um, we had to beat Adelaide, who were on top of the ladder. It was the club's last ever game at Subi Oval, right? So we had to beat them by twenty four points to make finals on percentage. And we, we snuck in. We beat them by about 28 points. Huge. So we snuck into finals. Um, we beat Port Adelaide after the siren in Adelaide. And then we went to GWS next week and we got pantsed. But um, to scrape into finals and to win a final like that, there was, there was a bit of a culture growing that we – yeah, I don't know. It's hard to explain, but the, the, there was spirit there. There was um, – there was just courage from the the playing group to dig in and and just play for each other, and that sort of carried on into eighteen. Yeah. And we we just became a really well connected team in yeah. eighteen. Like we worked so well together, we were selfless. Um, Such a good team. And even though we went through that lull mid year, so this is why I, I talk about it. We went through this three game period where we lost three in a row, and it didn't matter because there was still this um, culture that we were building. It was like it doesn't matter what we're doing is, is going to work. We'll come out of this rut and we'll be good again. And we did. We we won our next two or three. We lost to Melbourne late in the year at home, but I don't think we lost another game outside wow. of that for the rest of the year. So <clears throat> there was um yeah, there was a there was a belief there that we we were a good side and um a belief that if we we played together and for each other that um we'd beat most sides. Can you take us through like the average Joe here that doesn't get to experience grand final week, grand final day? Like I, I liken it to like probably a 
you know, 200 years ago or whatever when gladiators were around in Rome and like, you know what I mean? It's just so big. <laughs> and like you guys are these like heroic humans playing on this stage. And I'm like, that's what I, I generally, I walked in the Coliseum. I'm like, I, I told people, I'm like the MCG, this is what, this is, this is it now. Yeah. This is the equivalent. Like what, tell us about how freaking crazy that experience is. There is, there's something in the air on grand final day as a spectator. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've been to a few to watch. Um, and even the year just gone, um, Sydney, Geelong, I had to go pre-game to the MCG to do something. And just the atmosphere is like, it's wild as a as a fan. As a player, it's it's different. There's there's a lot of normality about your day as a player, really? okay. which it's hard to explain because um, to a lot of people you explain it through, they haven't experienced it as a player. So, yeah. But you, you turn up, you don't get to see the um, entertainment pre-game because you're in the rooms. Um, you don't really... You don't really see the hustle and bustle outside the stadium because you get the bus underground. So you miss mm. a lot of the stuff that makes it an atmosphere. Um, the one thing about Grand Final Day is crowds at prelims are normally bigger and louder than a Grand Final. Really? You get a lot of neutral fans to a Grand Final. Right. You get okay. a lot of corporates, a lot of neutral fans. It's the Super Bowl effect in, in a sense, a little, isn't it? Yeah, a little yeah. bit. Like you'll buy, you'll buy tickets to the Grand Final next year as a Collingwood supporter thinking – there might, there might be a chance to get there. So I'm going to prepare in advance. Yeah. They don't get there. You still it's go. It's Hawthorne Essen and you still go. Yeah. But you're not cheering for anyone. Yeah. So there's one Interesting. quiet fan in the crowd. Whereas a prelim, it's like 50% Collingwood, 50% West Coast, for example. Um, and they're just going nuts. So cor- correct me if I'm wrong here. You're saying the prelims you've experienced have probably been bigger atmospheres than grand final day. Prelim crowds and atmospheres are- Wilder than Grand Final Fuck, Day. Grand Final Day, but there, there's this aura about a Grand Final Day. It's like this. There's quite often a, a calm white noise across the stadium. Yeah. Um, mind you, when Collingwood kicked their fifth in the first quarter against us in 2018, that joint was rocking. I was going to say, yeah, for just popping off. I still think to this day, as Geordie would probably be listening, or probably not actually, but uh, if it wasn't for Dom Sheet, I reckon he might have got a. He'd be close to a norm. But yeah, because you, you pipped him, but uh, I, th- I thought he would, if Collingwood won, so I might go to him. But just on that point, was there any point in that game where you guys maybe mentally thought the Pies had it, had it, had you, or had it? Or did that never factor in? Because there was that period where it was like they kicked quick goals. I can't remember what quarter well, it was. five in a row in the yeah, first. Yeah, it's just something ridiculous. And it started, to, this gap well, this, just started to build. This was a thing with our group that year. And I reckon we were one of the first sides to, I reckon Richmond were probably first, but we were one of the first to start embracing the meditation and mindfulness side of the game. And really? trying to acquire mental skills. Um, and we'd done that probably – Excuse me, probably off the back of 2016. So we'd worked on it for a year and a bit. And then 2018, we needed it more than ever, particularly in the granny. Mm. Um, but this is the thing with our group was like, even though we were five goals down, I don't think anyone was really panicking or actually thinking about the situation. It was more about, we've still got three quarters to go. We can't just leave, get on yeah. the bus and leave. So what do we need to do from now until yeah. the end of the game? And um, you need a bit of luck on Grand Final Day. And we had a bit late in the first quarter. Um, JK kicked a goal and then Willie Rowley kicked one on the line. That's right. There was it's a few like, freakish moments from the West Coast where you're like, fuck you, it would have like soul lifting <clears throat> kind of moments. Yeah. That well, got you gra- back in, I think. I reckon those moments are in every game. It's just a grand final. <coughs> get, you pick it up more. They yeah, they it's do. Grand final. Yeah. But, um, Willie's, Willie's goal right full quarter time was so important for us. Like to go in five goals to nothing compared to five goals, one mm. or two. 
uh, it made a big difference. So we went in having kicked a couple. So we needed a bit of luck there. And then there was a real – people forget there was a real stalemate for probably about 20 minutes. I don't think anyone kicked a goal mm. in the second quarter mm. um, for a long time. Um, I think we might have kicked the first. But then it was pretty even for the rest of the game. We, we pegged our way back. They kicked the first two of the last as well. That's right. Yeah, so, that's when I thought. That's when I thought. Oh shit! I got a little bit hairy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think Jordy, maybe more so for you. I think he might have kicked Jordy, one. He kicked the one out from fifty or something like. Yeah, that's when he kicked that one. I think my check kicked the first. Yeah, and then Jordy's banged one home from sixty, and it was like, "Fuck, all right, let's get going, boys." Uh, um, yeah, I don't know if you've been asked this before, but I, and I don't know if you can answer it properly, but like you obviously had one of the one of the best games going around that day, and it was a huge part of why West Coast stayed in contention when Collingwood was sort of attacking and so forth. Can you describe, you know, what it was that day for you that switched or that why you sort of just stood up and played the way you did? Or was it just like instinct at the moment took over and it's like, yeah, it's an out-of-body experience kind of thing? To- um, no, nah, it's hard to explain. I was no superhero, but I, I had a bit of luck. I was in the right place at the right time sometimes. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'd had a – I'd had a lot going on off field in the two weeks leading up to that grand final. So um, potentially the the side effect of, you know, not overplaying the game in my head and exhausting myself in the lead up helped on grand final right. day because I actually I felt really good. A lot of guys talk about grand final day and they're exhausted 10 minutes in and they just don't have any legs, whereas I, I felt amazing. Fuck. We'd had a newborn uh, two weeks earlier. So Jesus. my two weeks in the lead up to the grand final – I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about footy. Yeah, you wouldn't have had much sleep so, over as you going into it. Well, either. or did the, the missus carry the, the weight missus, there? Yeah, yeah. Missus let me there, sleep you used those tokens. Fair call. Yeah. So shout I, um, out. Yeah, shout out. To the go. <laughs> I um, and then I had a. I actually had an average prelim, um, the week before the granny, and I said to Sam Mitchell, was my midfield coach at the time, and I said to him, um. I'm, I'm not down on confidence, but I didn't play great on the weekend. Can you, can you just watch my game and give me, give me a couple of pointers going into this week? And so he came back to me on the Monday, um, got into the club, and I can't specifically remember what he told me, but he gave me two oh. little um, gold nuggets, and I, I wrote them on a piece of paper, and I sticky taped them to my car wheel, steering wheel. Yeah. So every time I was in the car, it, it'd be there right in front of me, and I'd I'd save them to myself. No, it was Fuck, short and sharp. That is it was so like, fucking cool. It was something like, I don't know, simple, but it was keep your feet moving. And the other one might have been, I don't know. It was it was short and sharp. Do you like know that, what though? Simple. That that's I, I Sam Mitchell I liken to like, I don't know, Mourinho or Pep Guardiola in um soccer. <laughs> not not from like maybe the coaching period, but like when he talks about footy and the way they talk about soccer, it is it is not it's like an art form. It's so different. It's so jump, you know. You yeah, it. it's so intricate. It's so detailed. Yeah. It's got a lot of philosophy. It's like you can't teach that. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And where that's why I imagine, like, when he says something back then, or just like a little diamond like that can make such a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. He was good. He articulates things. I always thought he articulated things better than anyone I'd seen. So yeah. He could take a really simple <laughs> philosophy or a really simple um, bit of advice or coaching mm. and make it mean so much to you, which he clearly did for me. So I had that sticky taped on my wheel. Um, so that kept my week simple. I literally focused on those two things. Yeah. And, but we had, we had some good contributors throughout the day. Um, and it's funny, you talk about big moments. Like we had we had guys who 
popped up um, at different times and and did huge things for us mm. um, that were so important that if they didn't happen, we probably don't win. Speaking speaking of specific moments like that, the Dom Sheed goal, when you were watching that and where he was at that point in the game, probably know what his kicking capabilities like having been with him. But she does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's kicked a few from there and he no, always seems good. to do it against Collingwood as well, that same pocket, which the Pies fans will be livid about. But yeah. what was going through your head before that kick and when you saw the ball off the boot, like did you know it was going in? Were you, were you as in shock or as in awe of that kick at that moment or not really? You didn't really realise it? Well, I – Probably my downfall at times, but I'm an over optimistic person. <laughs> All right, so, so you're like, expecting I'm, I'm sitting there going, "We can win the flag next year, mate." Like, <laughs> yeah, right, um, so I've always been over optimistic, which I think for the most part has actually held me in good stead. Mm. Um, I'm sure at times it's probably been a downfall, but in this case, we'd kicked maybe five or six points in the lead up to Dom's goal. Um, guys had had shots and missed, 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 and then Dom took this mark and. Over optimistic, Luke was sitting there going, "He's kicking it. It's he's just got to kick it." Oh, you you so you were saying that like yeah, that but- whole sequence of play, by the way, as well. Obviously, the goal was unbelievable. But I remember, like from I think it started from McGovern at the back or something, and yeah, then the the specky from who yeah, was, it was a good it? pass, it was, uh, it was just Liam. A, yeah, yeah, it, it was a good pass landed and then turned and like just mate. I'm sure if I was a betting man, I'm putting money on Dom missing that. But yeah, over optimistic, Luke was like. He's kicking it. Oh, so you just went back um, to the center square. No, thing no, I wasn't, that, I wasn't that confident. Um, but I, I remember, I actually remember asking the runner how long there was to go because if he missed and we had to defend a kick in, um, we sort of had to have an idea of, of what was going on. So you sort of always preparing for um, the worst outcome. So mm. a few of us were trying to get a grasp on if he misses this, how long, how long to go, what's the scoreboard, um, what do we need to do, blah blah blah, all that mm. sort of stuff. And then he kicked it, and it was on to all right. Um, minute ten to go. What do we do? It was ridiculous. Um, yeah. yeah, it was. Uh, it was chaos. Now, I've, I've, I've got a few guys. As I said, you're, you're a pretty humble bloke, but uh, we, which I do appreciate. On but camera. yeah, on camera. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was giving it the big ones before. <laughs> Fuck it, hell. Um, Norm Smith though, and and I know the premiership medallions, obviously, well above that. But the Norm Smith, like growing up on footy, that is one of the biggest accolades you can have, particularly on the big dance and, and winning the flag mm. as well. Like, do you look back on that now and, and hold that in high esteem? Do you, did you get like that feeling at the time or do you not really think of that at the moment whilst you're still playing? No, it's, it's a huge honour. But then I look at Dusty who's won three and I'm just like, oh, that's yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, you um, bring yourself down. You thought you were optimistic. Yeah, he's no, a pessimist. No, no. <laughs> he's a cheat code, mate. Yeah, he is, um, yeah. Do you know I've got I've got one memory that stands out in my life. I've always been a footy fan. Dad was a footy fan. Um, and growing up, I was lucky enough to have a great dad. And like a lot of guys, I'm like, everything dad said as a kid, it was gospel. Like whatever dad says yeah. is, is right. Dad's never wrong. Dad's the best. Yeah. Right? Like a lot of <laughs> young boys. And I remember sitting in the car in um, 2008, it would have been. So I was maybe just before the draft. And we, me and dad were listening to the granny on the radio and it was Hawthorne beating Geelong in 08, mm. I think. And Hodgie won the Norm Smith. And um, me and dad are driving and we're listening to the Norm Smith presentation and they announced Luke Hodge and dad goes, Norm Smith, mate, I'll tell you what, that is as good as it gets. And um, I remember thinking then of Hodgie as like, geez, I was like, Luke Hodge, the goat. Like, so that, that's sort of when I think about being lucky enough to win one myself. I'm like, how lucky am I that um, 
you know, it's something that my old man educated me on how special they were back in the day. And I was lucky enough to be in a position where I could. So when, when your name got called out, the non-Smith medalist, Luke Shuey, and you're walking up, did that, when did that come into your mind, that moment with your dad in the car? Did that come at all in that moment? Or um, was it sort of afterwards you sat down? Oh, no, fuck. in the rooms after the game, I saw dad and um, thought of it. But what I used to do was, as a kid, like any young footy fan, I used to play footy in my hallway with my little McDonald's footballs <laughs> and I'd have carpet burns on my knees yeah. and I'd play for hours, mate. Like I was a five-time Brownlow medalist. In my <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kicked 8,000 goals. Yeah, I think I was an eight-time bear. <laughs> um, so I used to I used to love playing in my hallway and what I'd do is I'd, I'd play a grand final with myself and I'd grab all my pillows and my blankets and I'd, I'd get them around. We'd do the team photo after the game. <laughs> <laughs> I'd go get a big saucepan from the cup and that'd uh, be the cup and we'd, we'd be doing this one and – I remember when I got into the rooms after the grand final um, and dad, I gave dad a, card, a cuddle and he said, oh, beats, beats jumping around with your blankets and your pillows. Um, <laughs> That's golden. I was like, fuck, you're not That's wrong. sharp. That's um, very sharp. So that was a good moment. It's also dark here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah. love that. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, uh, and then I thought of him talking about the Norm Smith not long after it. Um, Fucking awesome, man! That, I think that's yeah, pretty special to do the both. The percentage chances around it are pretty slim, so yeah, no, to knock out lucky, man, very yeah, lucky, yeah, awesome. Um, before we sort of round this up, just uh, an interesting one for me is: did was there ever a moment in your career where you ever thought you'd go back to Melbourne? Nah, did you no, ever? Did really. you always think you'd be a one club player out here? Because obviously you're a Melbourne boy. Yeah, so. yeah, I am, but I never felt like I. Well, I think it's two things: is one, you either if you think you can get the best out of yourself as a footballer at another club, you go. Um, or if off field you're struggling and you need to be around family and friends and all that, you go go home as well. But I never had either of those things. I, I fell in love with Perth. Um, I fell in love with the people here and um, my teammates in the club um, and always felt like I'd be able to play my best footy here. Yeah. Um, so actually I was in America one year on a bit of a lads trip and I woke up and checked the AFL app. It was trade week. And I was just curious to see what was going on. There were all these rumors going around that I was going to Melbourne. Oh, really? And I hadn't heard a thing. So I, I what called, clubs were they were they swelling there at the time? No, the Demons, Melbourne. Oh, Demons. oh Melbourne Demons. Yeah, right, right. So I I actually I called bullshit. I didn't buy into it too much because yeah. I I was like, we're not the NBA. We don't just trade blokes without telling them. Yeah, you know we're not. Oh, fuck. Which is <laughs> yeah different topic for at the moment. But, yeah, um, agreed. I uh, I knew there was it was all just a bit of bit of a bust up in the media, but I um. I remember seeing that and going, fuck, am I going to Melbourne? Mm. I was in America on a lads trip. I was like, what happened last night? Mm. Yeah. Fuck what did me. I, what did I do on the piece? Yeah. <laughs> Hangover three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he's um, called he's called good he's called the Melbourne coach said take me over. <laughs> <laughs> but that's about as, as close as it ever got, mate. No, oh, I've okay. always loved it here. That's pretty yeah. impressive. Oh, well, this is this is sort of the final question. We ask it as a traditional one on the on the show. Um, but we equate three traits to successful people in sport, business and you know, music, whatever it may be. Obviously, all three are important, but the one for you that I guess you relate to the most for your success out of resilience, drive, or ambition, which one would you say was pivotal um, over the other two in your success? I thought you were actually going to ask me what my three are, and I was going to say resilience, ambition. I didn't have a third, so it's funny actually. Drive. Yeah. I don't know. My Do you know what? Be, I had a bloke told a bloke told me I should ask this question. He's never kicked, never played sport in his life, and I'm like, <laughs> mate, you've summed it up because oh, all of, three are really key. But a lot of successful business models translate to sport as well. Yeah, I, and that's why I think um, uh, people in sport are 
great in business mm. because you, it's a like obviously you need the smarts, but the personality factor, you've got mm. the traits. Um, um, yeah, it's hard. You, I don't know if you can. I don't know if you can teach ambition. Guys either want it or they don't. Yeah. Um, That's a good. We've never can't. had. We've never had anyone say anything like that on ambition. We've had cliches on resilience and drive, but well, no one's ever said the thing with resilience. You can't teach ambition. That's good. You can't. You can't teach resilience either. But I think guys can grow resilience with what they go through. So yeah, I can't sit down and go, "I'm going to make you a more resilient person." Yeah. I don't know if you really can. You might be able to help a little bit, but take them to SEAL training or something like that. Mate, yeah, you know that what I mean. Like you're not, you you're expose not them to things to yeah help their resilience grow. But I, yeah, I think resilience. I'd probably prioritize resilience as the most important. Right. Um. There's just so many different things that can drag you down when yeah. you're in the spotlight. Um. I even Le- LeBron James cop flack the other day for saying he wishes he could just go to Starbucks and get a coffee. Yeah. And then you think about his situation. You're like, the poor bloke wouldn't even be able to walk into nah, Starbucks and get a coffee nah, without getting absolutely handed. And people are calling him, oh, sitting on your pedestal complaining you can't go get a coffee. It's like heavy <laughs> yeah, as the that's, head that's that wears back, the crown. It's back to your point though before about, about what um, you are saying. Like it's just uh, athletes, they're not – but what I call those humanizing athletes. Mm. You're not, they're, not, they're not humans yeah. to people. They're fucking objects and things. And, and because people don't get it, I think resilience is – yeah. Yeah. Uh, last one. Good. What's a good season for West Coast this year? Well, baseline would be playing finals. Yeah. Um, I'm so confident we can play finals. If we go really well, have a bit of luck, um, go a bit better than what some people think. Um, top six, top five, top four would be great. Amazing. Um, but got to aim high. Luke Shuey. Well, mate, been a pleasure. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, Big fan of your game. You're a great bloke. And um, good luck for this season, mate. I'm sure everyone back home, you've, you've loved this episode. So thanks for coming thanks on. Thanks for having me on, mate. Awesome, man. Are you a podcaster? Maybe you've got that big idea and you're looking for a network to join. The multi-award winning Ozcast Network can get your content to eyes and ears all over the world. Join now for the first month free. And you could be featuring this sound at the beginning of your podcast. Ozcast. Simply head to ozcastnetwork.com for details.